So we're, uh, we use August to usually do our dreams and dialogue. It's a discussion about hearing what we believe God is saying and speaking to us as a church. That he is speaking and directing us to expand our faith, to encourage us, to challenge us. And so as we've met and we've been listening and we listen to you through the Jesus Journey Survey and we've been listening as the elders, we're just processing, God, what are you wanting to say to us? And at the time when we got away, we sensed that the Lord really wasn't inviting us to move beyond what he spoke to us very specifically last year. So if you, if you did, he got one of the cards. Does somebody have one of these hanging up on the refrigerator, on a wall, in their car? We have more in the back. It's about more. It's the Ephesians 3.20 text where we're in this prayer that Paul is praying. He's saying, oh, God wants to do more than you've imagined or you can even think according to his power that's at work within you. And we sense that God was inviting us to believe that, to be reminded of that in all the circumstances of our lives, that I'm going to do immeasurably more than all you can ask or imagine according to my power that is at work within you. And so we've been wanting to lean into that. And we sense God was saying, hey, I'm not asking you to go beyond that. I'm not asking you to actually to move beyond that. I want you to continue to believe it, but I actually want you to believe it more. And so we sense that the Lord is inviting us to remain in this spot. I believe there's still more. But yet with an emphasis on the impossible. The God of the impossible. God who can step into our circumstances and lives and change what we consider to be impossible. And so today, uh, I want, I'm just going to spend a few minutes and to encourage us all. I want to persuade us all to rely more on God for those impossible things, right? That we could trust God more. When we did the Jesus journey, we did, a Jesus, we did this like survey, and I mean, how many of you guys love surveys, you know? And we had 140 of our, of our family that took the survey. And one of the things that we found out in, on this journey of following Jesus is that the majority of us are still working out our trust in God. Right? Like, like we say, yes, I, I trust, but yet daily is a battle of trust, right? Like, yes, I trust, but I'm still growing in my daily life to actually live out a life of trusting God. And that's about 70% of our community saying, this is where I'm living my daily life. Can God be trusted? And sometimes the answer was yes, and further times the answer was no, but that's the question. Can God be trusted? And so I want to spend just a few minutes and encourage us to rely on God. And we want to do that by asking for the impossible. To trust God for those things that we may have put to the side, saying this actually is an impossibility for me. I, I want to spend a couple minutes using a text from Second Chronicles. And I, got a, I was on vacation. I got a chance to share a little bit of this text with my family. Because when you're a pastor and you're on vacation, what do you do, right? Now, I had some schoolwork. And so um, I, they, I, they made them do church with me, five of us in a back room. And it was so weird. Um, but, uh, but a little nuanced text of this. But this is a story that God has gripped me with um, since I've read through the scriptures. And it's a story that narrates a life. It's found in Second Chronicles. It's about a king called King Asa. Um, this happened around 2,900 years ago. He was the fifth king of Israel. So you can read all about this. And th these are stories that chronicles the lives of people in the scripture. And this is one of the few ones because in the scriptures there's only about 46 lives that are actually chronicled in a way that you can say, here's how they started and here's how they finished. And Asa is one of those that shows this start that is 
really good and this finish that is kind of really sad. And for whatever reason, I love the story. Right? And I don't know why. And maybe because it's one of these stories that scares me. Right? It's one of these stories that feels honest. Because it's a story that shows somebody starting really well and finishing really terribly. And that just feels like a reality in our world. Right? Starting well and finish terribly. And so, but it's all about relying on God. And not about, oh gosh, how do you get your crap together so that you can finish well? And, you know, how do you do everything right so that you don't embarrass yourself, your family, your church, or this world, or whatever it is? And No, it's about God. And so this story is about God. So King Asa is this king 2,900 years ago, 10 years into his reign. He gets attacked by this Ethiopian king, and Asa takes out all of his warriors in order to battle against this Ethiopian king. And then Asa begins to count his army and count the other army in front of him and begins to get a little bit scared. Asa counts up his troops, and there's 580,000 valiant warriors. When he begins to count the Ethiopian number, there's 1 million. And 300 chariots is what the text tells us. And then Asa, as he is lined up, it says he goes out to meet against this king in battle, and he cries out to God. This is in 2 Chronicles 14, 11, and it says this, Then Asa called to the Lord his God and said, Lord, there is no one besides you to help in the battle between the powerful and those who have no strength. So help us. O Lord our God, for we trust in you. And in your name have come against this multitude. Oh Lord, you are our God. Let no man prevail against you. That was his prayer. And in this text, Asa is kind of saying, I'm the powerless, even though he has 580,000 soldiers in front of him ready to fight. But when he looks out against the million and the army and the chariots, he is afraid, right? And he says, I'm powerless, And so there's no one to rely upon except you. So God, and here's his prayer, help. The Lord hears his cry and helps them. And they defeat this massive army. They plunder them, meaning that as as you bring a million people anywhere, you've got to bring a lot of luggage, a lot of food, um, a lot of provision, a lot of resources. And then when you scare them off because you beat them in battle with the Lord's help, All their stuff is still there. All the livestock, the animals, everything they needed to feed a million people is there and you plunder them of the resources. So they did that. They won this great battle and a prophet came to Asa and spoke to him. It's like, well done, take courage. Continue to move right. Trust in God. When you seek him, you'll find him uh, because he will let you find him. But when your heart's his, he'll be yours. And so continue to remain faithful to God. And Asa says, yes, builds a covenant and reminds of all the people of the covenant of God. fixes the temple, continues to bring in new items into the temple to dedicate them, does all this stuff, and it's great. Can you remember a similar situation when you called upon God when you knew you were helpless? Have you, you, I mean, the majority of us, if you've, you've been there, right, where you're powerless and you cried out to God. Can you remember the first time you've done that? We kind of get those spots. And for some of you, if, if you're like me, I can could, I could remember. I can remember being 15 years old and thinking that I was helpless. And I'd heard of Jesus. I'd just heard of Jesus. 
and I had been hurt. I hurt myself. I cracked a vertebrae in my back, um, and, and, I, and I felt helpless, even though I was seeing doctors and all this, and I was like, Jesus, help me, and, and I was trying to bribe Jesus the whole time. If you do this, I'll do that, right? But I can remember crying out to Jesus for help. I can remember my mom telling me a story of her crying out, even though she did not know God, or nor was following God, crying out to God to help. When she was recently divorced from my dad, had three young kids and no money and nothing, crying out, God, help. Even when she was not in a great spot of her mind and her own health, crying out to God in her own helplessness, and God answering her cry and supporting her in us as kids. One of the stories was was she she left and was receiving no support from family as she left my father when I, in 1977, I was four years old. My sister was six months old. My brother was six and had no support. No, no one went to her mom saying, hey, I got to get out of this relationship. Her, her mom said, I'm not going to help you. What are you doing? Go back. Uh, and she said, no, I'm not. And didn't know what to do. And within a couple of nights, a terrible thunderstorm happened. It struck lightning and it crushed her car. And I remember this because I had some Star Wars figures in the bottom of the car, and I never got them back. You know how you remember those weird things like that? You know, right? At that, those ages of crazy things. But my mom tells the story. She was like, oh, this was a car that, that I had that we had bought as a family um, that was paid off, and when it was crushed, she got the insurance for it. That was enough to be able to buy a cheap used car and then sustain us for a season of no support. And she was like, this was, this was God. Can you remember crying out to God for help when you felt, him, you felt powerless? Grant, I mean, can, Grant, can you come up here? He shared, right? So here's a, a young boy who yet is believing God for the impossible, right? Grant, how old are you? Um, 11. 11 years old. And, I mean, you heard us prayer, right? saying, all right, can you remind us? So, and you've been writing this on the green card for about a month now, I think I've seen it specifically, if not two months, right? Specifically for this impossible prayer. And can you remind us what you're praying for? Um, for my auditory processing disorder to go right away. Yeah. Um, is that something that, that uh, I don't know, does it seem impossible? Yes. Did the doctors tell you that, that your memory loss is just something that you're going to have all your life and you got to find tips and techniques in order to deal with it? Yep. But yet, His prayer request, and if you've seen it on the green card, is God, heal me, right? I mean, what what are you asking for? For it to go away. Yeah. And that was his praise during this day playing ping pong, and he hasn't forgotten the score. Are you winning during the ping pong games or losing? Most of the time. uh, (laughs) You're beating your dad at ping pong? Yes. Good. (laughs) Yeah. So, I'm sure he could. So, um, is, is Grant just being foolish? Because he's young? Is this just being naive because he's 11? No. Right? This is, this is something buried in him. He's saying, this is true, and I'm helpless, and I'm going to cry out to God to do something. And I'm going to ask regularly right? Yes. And so Jesus said, hey, um, unless you had the faith, this sort of trust, this enduring reality, like a child, you can't follow me. This isn't naive. This is the reality. 
And so Grant, thank you for being a good example to us about what it looks like to actually trust God. Not just about being 11 in your reality and circumstances, but about trusting God for impossible things. And so I think it's beautiful and we want to encourage you to do so. And so if you read the public prayer request and you see Grant Nazinski in there because he writes them down and he says he's praying for healing. That was the one that came up two weeks ago. That's what he's asking for, right? And so we join with him and we ask for it, right? So thank you, Grant. Thanks for sharing that with us. Thanks for modeling that for us. We're powerless and God's powerful And so we ask him, and it's not naive, and it's not foolish, and it's a reality of what Jesus invited us to do. And so Asa does it, and God hears his cry. And so Carmel and I and our family have had patterns and histories of not asking for things and patterns and history of asking and relying on God, of saying, oh my gosh, we're powerless to heal chronic back pain, to end migraines, to deal with health issues and that, and to continue to cry out and see God move in our powerlessness. Even though at times we go in and we're trying to figure out all the best ways to do things, but yet God moves. When we rely upon him and ask for his help, he seems to help. But yet, as in this story and others, we can, we can forget. Or maybe you don't forget, but you, you just do something different at another time. And so in the story of Asa, he does what's right. And then he begins to do all these really good things. He takes courage and he begins to bring transition to the whole people. And he's starting to make all these right decisions. And they're doing right worship. And they're removing all the false gods that are there. He's even making hard decisions that involve his family and his mother who has even set up an idol for herself, and he removes her from that power. He's doing all these really good things for a number of years. All the right answers. But yet, something happens. His, his heart begins to rely on some other things, and it says that in the 35th year of his reign, that God had given him rest for 25 years on all sides. Peace. But 25 years later, Another king comes against him, King Basha. He was the king of Israel at the time because, uh, I'm sorry, I don't mind it, so because this king Asa was the king of Judah and Israel as the country was divided at that time between two kingdoms. And so Basha comes against them and it doesn't say how many army or soldiers he had, but he came against them in the same way that the Ethiopian king did. And this time Asa does something different. He doesn't go out to engage him in battle. He doesn't cry out to God. He realizes that he has this gold and the silver in his own house and gold and silver in the temple. And he takes those things and he's, he's almost like he's asking this question, who is stronger than the king of Israel, Basha? Who's stronger? Who can defeat this enemy? And he says, oh, I know who can. The king of Aram, his name is Ben-Hadid. He is the one who's stronger. So he gives his gold and his silver to this king of Aram. And he says, hey, break your treaty with King Basha and go against his cities because he's left with his army and he's fighting me. So I'll give you all this gold and silver and you attack him. And he does. 
And all of a sudden, King Asa is freed from this attack, and he goes out and he gets all the goods that are left because the army of Basha leaves, and he thinks he's resolved the problem. This problem that's right in front of it, it's resolved. He found the solution. His people are safe. He's done all the things. They're not being attacked anymore. All is secure. They got all the stuff that Basha left there when they had to leave in a hurry because their cities and their families were being attacked. All seems well until the prophet comes and speaks. And this is what happens in 2 Chronicles 16, verse 7. This prophet comes. His name was Hanani. It says he was a seer. And he came to Asa, king of Judah, and said to him, Because you have relied on the king of Aram. Right? Because you have relied on that king and not relied on the Lord. The Lord your God, therefore, the king... The army of the king of Aram has escaped out of your hand. We're not the Ethiopians, and this prophet begins to remind the king, Asa. We're not the Ethiopians. In the Lubim, an immense army with very many chariots and horsemen, yet because you relied on the Lord, he delivered them into your hand. For the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth, that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. You have acted foolishly in this. And from now on, you will surely have wars. This is an interesting little thing here. It says, because you relied on this one and didn't rely on God, the king of Aram has escaped out of your hands. Now, just another detail. The king of Aram was not attacking him. Basha was. The king of Aram was the stronger king. And the prophet's saying, hey, I, I just got to reveal something to you. God was wanting to do something more than you even had your eyes on. He was wanting to do something way more, way bigger. You, you, you thought Basha was just the thing to have to get over, but yet you didn't trust. But yet God was wanting to hand over to show you his, his strength and his power to secure the area even more so than you could even dream or imagine. And yet you have missed it because you have not relied on God. But yet you trusted, you relied on your power or your money or something else besides God. He wanted to do something more. The king of a hand, you, you, the king of Aram has, has escaped from your hand. And Asa paid him to care for him. It's so interesting when we, we think about who will take care of us or we think about in the tough situations how we're going to get out of them. And maybe it's by our own strength or our own strategies, our own power or our own goodness or our own methods or maybe it's somebody else who's stronger and more powerful and we're going to do something to get their approval when their affection is something to help us. But yet we don't rely on God. This year, we're sensing that God is inviting us to rely to to ask for more. Jesus, and yesterday, for those who were with us, in Matthew 19, 26, when Jesus was talking to his disciples about those who can be saved, he, he says this word, and he's actually talking to them about those who trust in their money. And, G, and he was saying how hard it is for those who are rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus says this, 
he looks at his disciples because they're asking, who can be saved? And Jesus looks at them intently and says, humanly speaking, it is impossible. But with God, everything is possible. Saying, who can, can the, the rich, how hard it is because it's so easy to rely on what we have or the power to not trust God, to not lean upon God fully with whatever we've given, if it's more intellect, if it's strategy, is to use everything that God has given us but actually not rely on him. That we've become big. And yet, John the Baptist, when Jesus spoke to him, said there was no one who has ever been greater than John the Baptist who has ever lived. No one. And John said this, I must become small so that he can become big. Yeah, that's the, right? That's, that's the heart. Humanly speaking, it's impossible for whatever we might be talking about, for what Grant is talking about, right? Humanly speaking, it's impossible. But with God, everything is impossible. And we're, we're being challenged in this to begin to say, humanly speaking, we know that what we're talking about is impossible. But with God, everything is possible. This is where we want to begin to lean and to turn into. To where when, when these struggles, these things would come against us were something more powerful than we, that we could say, God, help us. God, what do we do when the powerful come against the powerless? God, help. This story only gets a little bit sadder with King Asa because when he's corrected, he doesn't repent, meaning he doesn't like, oh my gosh, I made a terrible decision. God, forgive me. Yes, how do we, how do we make this right, right? He, he doesn't do that. He only gets madder and it starts hurting his people. And then it says two years later, he begins to get a disease in his feet. The things that makes you stand straight, steady, right? That holds you strong. His own feet, where he cannot support himself. He gets a disease in his feet. And the text becomes very clear. It says that Asa, even in this disease of his feet, does not seek the Lord and ask for the Lord's help. He only goes to the physicians. It is not wrong to go to the physicians, believe me. Go to the physicians. But it makes it very clear. He did not ask for God's help. Even when his own body is breaking down on him and his own feet, only his own personal life, he would not turn and say, oh, Lord, I'm powerless here. And so that happened to him, and two years later, he dies. That's the story of Asa. We long to be encouraged by this story as God's inviting us not to be headstrong and not to only ask in our youthful thinking or maybe we're young in our faith, but continue to remain on a path where we're continuing to have this reality that God wants to be our strong support and that we would ask him to help in the possible circumstances of our life and in our church. Ten years ago when I became the lead pastor of Genesis, or even before that, I can remember sitting in a ravine in the desert praying, God, should I do this? I mean, this, churches are weird things. And people who want to pastor them are weird people, right? I mean, you feel like you should know what to do. And I can remember praying and sensing God's invitation to do it. But yet, I, as I thought about it, it's like, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to do this. Have you ever, you ever asked to do something and you're like, I don't know how to do that? And I can remember sitting in this ravine and listing, and, li and listing off what I didn't know how to do and why I shouldn't. 
right? I wasn't coming in with credentials or any of that. I was coming with some years of following Jesus and serving in this community. And I can remember sitting there and I said, God, I can't do it. I don't, I don't know what, to, I don't know how to do it. And, and I can remember hearing the whisper of God. Exactly. <laughs> You're right. That's true. That's exactly why I want you to say yes. Because you don't know how. And you can be small. Because I want to be big. I'm God, right? The hardest struggle of the last 10 years for me in that journey is to stay there. It's to not think, oh, I know how to do this now. Oh, look what I know how to do. Look what strategy I have. Look what, what resource we might have. The hardest thing to do is to hold that same posture that says, oh God, what does the powerless do when they come against the powerful? Help. And so we want to take a posture as a people in the church. We think God's inviting us not to take this submission to everything that's happening in the circumstances around us and say, oh, this is just what it is. But no, to take a posture of trusting more boldly more, um, maybe in a ridiculous manner, in an embarrassing manner that we would trust for God to do the impossible. And so we're asking for you to go with us on this journey. Yesterday we had a little sheet here, and I want to close with this and so we can, we can be there, but the sheet says we're asking for the impossible, and I want to invite you to begin to ask for the impossible and on the sheet it says, what's the impossible thing for you personally? What's the impossible thing that you sense the Lord is inviting you to begin asking that's of personal nature? For whatever it is, I don't know, maybe you've lost some hope in it, or you just don't think God's interested in it. It may not even be that big, right? But you just think, oh, no, no, the God's, God's, this, God's not, doesn't care about that. It was the thing with Asa and his feet. No, God doesn't care about it. It's my feet, you know, right? No big deal. But it was very clear that Asa had, did not trust God with his feet. That's, that's the part of his life that's accounted for for every one of us to read when he looks at his story. So what's the, what's the thing for you? And it could even be small. The impossible thing that God's inviting you to pray for. I want you to write it down. And then we want to invite you to be praying for us as a church. What's the impossible thing for us as a church that you want to pray? That you'd be willing to pray? I've been reflecting upon that myself. Um, and, I, and I, you know, I'm, I'm like, oh gosh, I want it to be big, you know, I want it to, you know. But what's the thing that God is stirring my heart to begin praying for us? And yesterday I wrote that the possible thing for our church is that we would see I mean, we'd see our neighbors and our communities' hearts turned to, to a way of Jesus that would, uh, would, the word that the early church used was a term called revival, right? It was a thing when the people furthest from God and whoever that camp is begins to get stirred and turned towards God as almost a way it's almost a way a sign where God's saying, look what I can do. Look what I can do. 
I can grab whose you thought were the hearts were the furthest from me, were the ones that were the wildest, and turn their hearts towards me. This happened in the 1960s and 70s in the United States in the thing called the Jesus Movement. Where those who thought they were the furthest from God, living hedonistic lifestyles, were turned to him. And my prayer is that we, that we, in our cities, would get to see that for ourselves and for those around us. And not because we did something, but because we saw what the heart of God was like for others when we began to ask for it. Something we know he wants to do. That was my prayer. And I want to invite you to write one down. And here's what I want to challenge you to do. I want to challenge you to pray it over the next year once a week. And for me, I'm going to set an alarm on my phone to go off on Mondays. I don't know why Mondays. You can choose any day of the week you want. To set it off to pray for that impossible those two impossible things. And we want you to write these down. I want you to take a picture of it, but we want to have it too so that we can know what you're praying for. So when we see God to move the dial on that, we can all celebrate and praise him as Grant has given us a living example of that today. So let me, let me pray and, and close this off today and then um, we're going to head on to the rest of our day, which there's a lot of celebrating and um, being together happening in our community today. And we want to encourage you to be a part of that. So Father, would you stir in the hearts of your people to remember, to recall, to process personally what you might be encouraging them to even write down to begin to pray for over this next year. That impossible thing for themselves. That personal thing it relates to their family or relationship. So God, would you whisper into it that dangerous prayer laced with your hope and your goodness for you to help. We praise you, God, that you are so good that when the powerless cry out to you, you hear us and you help. Thank you. May we begin to trust you by opening our mouths and crying out to you more. And God, for our church, for things that are bigger than maybe our personal lives, a collective cry, God, for what you're wanting to see happen in the world. God, let us ask for some big things and begin to change our hearts to care about what you care about. So Lord, would you whisper into those things right now? Amen.